Hello and welcome to the Take the Dive podcast. My name is Alex. And I'm Tyler. This week, we dive into the future of automation as presented in Mana by Marshall Brain. What happens when jobs become automated? How do we adjust? Is it realistic? Let's take the dive. Welcome to our podcast. This is the first podcast we're doing, and we're excited to be here, aren't we, Tyler? Super excited. Super excited. So we're talking about Mana, this short book by a guy named Marshall Brain. 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 Weird name, right? Brian Brain. I always mix him up. It's a little weird. It's a little weird. But anywho, this guy, as many people don't know, is the uh, creator of the How Stuff Works show I, I had no idea yeah me neither I, I i thought that was really cool he already has had his hand in understanding systems and and describing things for a while now and he then came out with a book called mana and mana is about essentially automation at the end of the day it is about automation and jobs being taken by automation and we get two different aspects of this we get two different presentations of what could happen in certain ways if automation takes over jobs how will people adjust how will societies adjust and what can we do to make things better or worse potentially mana talks about both so tyler what do you think about mana man i really enjoyed it yeah no i uh, i'm super into this kind of stuff i've always loved uh you know asimov and and, and robots and, and things like that so ai really interests me um, I thought it was kind of interesting the way it started uh, in the beginning um, at a fast food mm -hmm, restaurant. Mm -hmm. I thought that was kind of an interesting setting. And I noticed that that kind of comes up a couple times in there. It seemed to be the like the base level for that that software to start out in. You know, it seemed like that it made the most sense um, for me, you know, as, as a story progression. Um, I don't know. What, what, what did you think about the beginning there? In the beginning, let's let's talk about that real quick. Mana. What is that? Well, management that's where it's flowing from mana management right and so the beginning of the book sort of gives us a, a weird turn in the sense that he discusses his childhood his invented childhood and he's working at a fast food restaurant and he talks about automation coming into the fast food restaurant and where it starts first they start it first at middle management then that's where the automation first takes away a job in the in this time frame which is it's it's the sense that ma it, it makes the most sense for that that place in time you know it's like you know the where where a, where a management software would take over obviously mana or mana however you want to mana, yeah mana mana probably mana management and so how it works is that every person whenever they come into the job and they get uh they they start their shift they put on this little headset and the headset has you know a microphone and a earpiece and Mana or Mana, the software that is being middle management, will tell the people what to do through their ear set at every single moment. And this yields essentially a person knowing what to do all the time and never being idle. This also yields the ability for the middle management person or whatever, the entity, to split tasks much more efficiently. So that one person is doing this over here, the other person is doing that over there, and they're always getting done and there's no overlap. 
Right, right. You've essentially just increased productivity, you know, a hundredfold almost, which I thought it was, you know, on the note of like taking taking orders through a headset, I thought it was kind of interesting that his uh, his father was so staunchly against it, you know, at first being like a, an, air, an airline pilot, you know, kind of taking orders through a headset, <laughs> you know, for a living. <laughs> I, I thought that was kind of interesting. It was just a funny note in there, but... Um, I mean, he, he made it, he made a note just saying, you know, that you're, you're literally like a piece of a robot in, in doing that, you know? So what, you know, like what, what's it telling you to do now is, is, is it was a really good line in there. I thought that was really interesting. So he was kind of, <clears throat> he was kind of, he was kind of not, you know, not for it, obviously being from a previous generation, um, his son, you know, probably didn't really care so much about it. He was working at a, a burger joint, so it really didn't bother him too much, but uh, and in some way he almost kind of, in, in some way he almost kind of enjoyed it, you know, it like kind of kept him like busy and, and allowed for him to just kind of freely go about his day while he just had someone in his ear, just telling him what to do, you know, and kind of, in kind of an, an objective manner too, you know, it wasn't someone like yelling at him or, or, you know, trying to coerce him into doing something. It was just someone literally giving him orders, telling him what to do and, and he was off to go do it, you know. I would argue there was a tiny bit of coercion or at least a tiny bit of added sort of stress because whenever they went on break, it would remind them every single minute that they have left of the break. That is that is true. Did that happen initially or was that like a like an update that happened? I think that was with an update that they they added that in. And so that because yeah. I feel like they did have maybe like breaks at first initially. But then, yeah, like I remember him talking to his friend in the mall and them being like. You know, but mine counts every, you know, hour, every minute that I'm on break or whatever, you know, which kind of keeps track of what you're doing, you know, more so than, than before. I want to ask you, Tyler, imagine your job now. So, so Tyler, just so anyone doesn't know, Tyler works at a family business and he interacts with customers and everything a lot and has different things to do at any one point. How would you feel if Mana at this stage was implemented into your store? After reading this, I personally wouldn't wouldn't like it, but uh, I think initially it would be something that I would perhaps enjoy to an extent. I mean, maybe not necessarily enjoy, but find some productivity out of, you know, like it would probably allow me to do more in my job, I suppose. It would be constantly reminding me of things, whereas maybe I'm maybe I'm slacking off a little bit or getting a little more comfortable than I should be. But at any, any given moment, you know, in, in my particular job, I guess I could just be dealing with customers 24-7. So it, it, to that extent, it wouldn't really, I guess, apply as much as it would in like a, a multi-tier like establishment, something like a, like a, you know, a fast food chain where you've got, you know, cashiers and, and people on the fryer and maybe someone in the back doing, you know, this or that stocking stuff. I think it would be appealing at first, much in the way that he finds it appealing in the beginning of the book, just because of that level of productivity, you know, like I, I am a bit OCD in a, in a weird way. So I think that there would be something about it that I would enjoy, you know, but I could, I could see where it would maybe apply maybe a little better to, to like a, like a restaurant environment or something, you know? Or again, you know, like, like I'm, you know, like he did in the beginning of the book, a, a burger joint, something like that, where you've got all these working parts and people that need to like, you know, converse with each other and know what they're doing at any given moment and, and uh, you know, know what the customer needs and wants at any given moment. It would kind of help to have like a, a system that kind of glues everything together in, in a sense, you know? Yeah, I get, I get a little bit of a efficiency high whenever I 
was listening to this because I'm studying and getting more and more into data and automation and so on myself and wanting to automate my own life. And so whenever I heard something like this, it sounds incredibly wonderful in a sense of like, ooh, high efficiency, high, high efficiency. Yes, definitely. definitely. But it definitely takes out autonomy. It does. And being able to sometimes make your own decisions would definitely be a plus. There are situations in the Mana software that I don't think it would be able to handle in terms of there's a rowdy customer and the customer needs to be ejected or something like that. Right. I don't think it would necessarily know that that customer is happening. How to predict that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And then tell which person to do what to get the customer out. It could. You could. I feel like over time, yeah, maybe. But initially, I mean, this was like a pretty ideal situation for the most part, you know. So there, we have to do like take that into into you know consideration. And as I'm saying it, I, I'm coming up with solutions in my own mind of of well, then the person could just tell the software, you know, rambunctious customer, and then the software immediately understands that and establishes and assigns people to do different things. You call the cops. Uh, you try and deal with them. You know, like. It establishes that and it could have or 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 like this employee you know escorts that that patron exactly. out or something and know, then it yeah. would have to have with that it's sort of interesting because that means then mana would need to be able to rate people based on who could handle that situation better you know you're not going to send out the shy small person versus the big you know rambunctious person and so it would need to know that it would have to have all kinds of algorithms, man. Which, technically, in the story, it continues. It continues to get bigger yes. and bigger and bigger, taking over more and more jobs. Yes, and I and I and I like the line in in there. The there was something that I can't remember who said it in there, but they they were saying yesterday the people controlled the computers, now the computers control the people, and I think that was maybe it was his father or something like that. I'm I'm not entirely sure, but. Um, I just thought it was a really interesting note, you know, how, how quickly it, it flipped there in that in that moment where all of a sudden we were controlling everything, all our devices and doing all of that stuff autonomously. And here we are now with a computer telling us what to do. And one thing to note is that this was originally published in 2003. I, I kind of got that sense, like like reading it, it seemed like it was a little early in earlier on it seemed like it was published a little earlier um i should say he kind of noted a couple things like what did he say uh i think he noted like the world trade center and stuff that it just kind of there was a few things that made me kind of kind of keyed me into the time and place in which he wrote it so whenever we view it now there are some laughable things of like well we're already there and we're already doing that you know and that computer controlling people that's already true that's way true yes like hilariously true yes we're just not really acknowledging it Mm -hmm. especially with big data algorithms that are harvesting you know uh your data in order to advertise to you in order to make you make friends with other people in order they're influencing and controlling that and so we are controlled necessarily quote unquote by computers but it is important to note that they were still established by humans Oh, 100%. Yeah. 
So it grows and grows, this Mana Software taking over more and more areas. Uh, do you, can you remember some of the first areas that it started taking over? What was it? I think that it like initially started in like the burger joints and then it kind of moved to, to other places where it could kind of take over like the middle management and stuff. So I think it, what was it like? Chain stores and, yes. and malls and, and things like that. I think it even, you know, like restaurants and things like that were kind of slowly starting to take over. And then I think at a certain point they were all kind of starting to be able to, to converse with one another, the the mana systems, once once they started kind of rooting themselves in in each of those businesses, you know, and then they could kind of talk back and forth and, and it kind of created a bit of a network where they were able to kind of um, allow for you to, you know, get a job wherever it was available. This part made sense, but it was shocking. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he even notes in there that it was it it, it got uncomfortable is what he said. You know, it's it's at this point. All mana, all the mana software was talking to each other, and they started creating lists of every employable person and having a profile with that person. Right. And so, if this person was fired from another job, every other mana software would know that person was fired and why, and it would take that into consideration and create blacklists of people. And these blacklists, of course, meant that if you're on it, you're not getting a job. You're just, you're out of, out of luck. And you were held to a, a standard if you wanted that job. You know, you needed to, you needed to be working constantly. And it, yeah, it was, it was, uh, yeah, all of a sudden it became about this, this performing and, and expectation and stuff from the software. And then it was able to, you know, average people's performance and, you know, you were, you needed to kind of meet target goals and stuff in order to to achieve your day properly and you know it would coach you through and you know you tell you to be going faster or slower or well, i guess technically not slower but i thought it was really interesting that it all of a sudden became kind of this like game almost you know where it was like you were trying to reach like a target performance or something you know you're trying to beat like a time record or something yeah it's like it's gamified <laughs> but you don't have the niceness of you know with a game you fail you start again yes yes and i thought well it, it was really interesting like once it, it started kind of taking over and doing that that started kind of almost like manipulating the patterns of the employees so that they weren't aware of, of each other's presence and stuff they never really like talked to each other throughout the day kind of saw that as like um unproductive behavior Something that was non-essential to a machine, obviously. Exactly. Interaction and stuff. Yeah, they talk. They talk about the store and how they're everyone is stocking in different areas. Everyone is operating in different areas all the time, and it really did the efficiency of well. Let's just not let them talk at all. So you would work, and it would just be this cold environment of just you following a machine's orders not talking to anyone right like it would just stagger your your you know paths and and your breaks mm -hmm. and things like that so that you know no one was ever really like around each other for very long and and so that way it was increasing that productivity which sounds like hell oh it sounds terrible yeah it just quickly became like a like a horrible situation you know because i think one of the things that bring people to work with a bit of a better mood is definitely if they work with great people yes and you get to have that social interaction this removing it definitely is a a removal of quality of life it was a removal of quality of life and then it was also just like an invasion too you know of of, of privacy because eventually it kind of went further and then was able to kind of tap into your like your phone network or your uh, email and stuff like that and and kind of like like remind you to be at work or call you if you weren't weren't there you know something like that and 
very quickly became like this call and response thing, you know, from a, a piece of software you were, you were taking orders. Yeah, to take orders from. And it's funny. I found it funny in the book because he, the author talks about, well, what job did he pursue to avoid automation? And he was a teacher. Right. Essentially, the people, the minds of the people started viewing this as I need to train myself to have a job that can't be automated. And so he chose teaching. And of course, at some point that got automated out and it didn't work. Everything ends up getting automated out. Of course, it's outsourced at that point. And I think this is, I think, a good point to make a little bit of a jump in discussion because we entered this talking about that there were two different ways. There were two different ideas presented. And we're at the perfect point, I think, to really establish, well, what is the first idea? I think it comes from that right there, that people were actively, their duty, their well, not duty, but their need was to actively search out jobs that aren't going to be automated. Correct. Why? Why were they doing that? Well, they very, they very quickly saw what the automation did. And of course, it made it so much harder for anyone else to, to get a job doing anything else, you know, that one that was automated, like by mana, because it, it not only meant that you were going to be automated, but, but it was also going to just pay you minimum wage. And, you know, why would it need to pay you more than that? So it kind of just got you trapped in this like loop where you almost get lost in the, uh, the economy there pretty quickly because you can, you know, you can, like you said, got, got kind of blacklisted at a certain point and you could, you know, very potentially not, not get a job based on that. So a lot of people would ask, why should you need a job? Because some people already have this idea of more and more automation should make it easier for everyone, right? Right. But, the, but was this the case? Obviously not. No, no. We went the, the opposite way in this case. We very quickly outsourced all of our management to this software, and, and it very quickly turned on us, and we ended up you know, becoming slaves to this, mm -hmm. essentially, this society that we created with, with this software that was going to blacklist you, you, know, if you if you didn't do the right thing. So You know, there's the saying, follow the money. Right. If you want to figure something out, you follow the money. And if we were to follow the money in this case, the money constantly flowed to the top. Correct. It was never spread out. It was never the benefits of automation never were found to support those at the bottom and the top. No, the top saw profits. The top scraped profits off of firing people and replacing them. And then that money never rotated back into the economy. Right. Which is obviously like a, a bit of a microcosm of, you know, our, our current state here in the and this is, yeah, to be clear, if some people here were already thinking, well, isn't that what's happening right now? This place, this current situation is set in the United States. Right. This is the prediction for the United States, because this is what's happening already. Back in 2003, I mean, that's a fairly accurate prediction there. It is. We, we definitely went down that path and are continuing down that path. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so we have this funneling effect of funds that does not re-rotate back into the economy. And so it was still required, everyone was still required to pay whatever three bucks on milk and, you know, uh, two bucks on bread and so on. But the only way that they could get that money was by having a job. There wasn't really any other way. And so they were constantly fighting against this changing battleground, this changing field of where can I get a job to survive? How do I make myself 
better in a sense of where can I train myself to just survive? Right. Correct. Which is a, it's a bad way to be. I mean, we've seen things like that in history before, you know, we've got like towns that sprout up or whatever, and, and they, you know, everyone works for the town or whatever. And it, they, they go back to a kind of like a factory store and spend all of their money there, you know, and kind of get indebted to this, this place, you know, a little mining town or whatever the, whatever it is, you know, and it's kind of this, this enslavement just to the, just to the economy that you're set up in. It kind of kind of breaks you down, it seems like. And this is, you know, there was an inevitable breaking point, right? There was an inevitable where the system could not just keep trying to rotate workers into different non-automated places until they just disappeared. That That system became so intense and so overarching that it was these automation softwares as well as establishments of uh, physical robots that do specific tasks and so on to take over even manual tasks and the breaking point came whenever there was really not any more jobs. Like you could not train yourself to be in a position to not be automated out. Which in, in this instance, it obviously happened like, you know, exponentially. I feel like we're, we're definitely headed there here in, in, in the States, maybe at a slower pace. You know, we haven't quite automated everything out yet, but it'll get there. It'll get there. It will. But we need to, yeah, we need to just decide, you know, what, what we're going to do with that. Exactly. What can we do with this? Well, they gave a solution in the book. They gave a solution of, well, what would potentially happen in this case? And it was a massive focus on welfare and the welfare state. And what can the welfare state do to uh, fix these people, per se? And as we all know, welfare in the United States is a dirty word. It's a dirty word. And with that idea, if we already think that welfare is a dirty word, then if we are to establish policies for welfare, we are already going in negative and going to establish negative policies. And that's essentially what happened. People were not able to rent a home, buy a home, anything. They had no money. So they started getting corralled into ghettos. Now, they don't say ghettos in the book. I say ghettos. They say, what do they say in the book? What is it called, Tyler? I believe they're uh, terraform housing or something. It was just like a really, really low in low and you know low cost, low income housing that they just kind of pieced together in like a almost like a like army barracks or something. You know, where it was like everything was just all in a row and kind of neatly, neatly fit in there. And I can't remember exactly what he said, but he they they were saying you know they could literally house like millions of people just all in like a, a few square miles or something if they if they wanted to. The robots were so efficient just kind of a just a scary thought in itself because you know it, it kind of rings a, a very bad bell about concentration camp feel to them and he even kind of reference references that i think a couple times just describing these terraform buildings it really gives it, it's funny because you yeah you went the direction of concentration camps and so on a feeling i had that resonated with me and i i find this so hilariously ironic coming from america it reminded me of brutalist block housing in a communist country. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Or, or very much, you know, just like a ghetto. I mean, we've done that a million times over where we've just, you know, put some really cheap housing up and, and it kind of just falls apart and let, 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 let people live there. It's been cut so efficiently to be this just block after block after block of, of drab nothing. Right. I think I even he even mentions that it, every, everything was brown. 
all their like clothes, all the like the housing itself were, were brown and no windows because that was a, a cost for them, you know. I think of, you know, there there are definitely places in China that have these intense density issues. They have very intense density issues. And it's it just, I find it so funny that necessarily this capitalist society by just working out what capitalism would do ends up creating situations and conditions that we would assume to a, a poor communist society i saw like a, a an article the other day about a actually i think it was a video even that was a, about a man in china that had like you know doesn't he was such uh, of course i think he was an agoraphobe but he, he doesn't like go outside much at all you know like he doesn't hasn't gone outside in 20 years or something he goes out every once in a while to get like essentials, but then just like he just stays in his house. He stayed in his house for like 20 years or whatever. But he's got this little like, you know, tiny apartment with like no windows and stuff. And he just looks so skeletal. They did have solutions in these terraform houses of, well, everything you eat, that was completely and utterly decided, cooked and given to you by robots, by automation. You didn't have to worry about purchasing food. You didn't have to cook it or anything like that. And I believe they had some other sections of the place that you could maybe go exercise or do something else there. Uh, but very low level stuff. All decisions, all, uh, you know, characteristics of the Terraform was made by automation and robots. There was no autonomy of the people living there. Not at all. And they, they ultimately decided your, your fate, which was mm -hmm. in itself turned into, yeah, kind of a, a prison because, you know, they described not, not being able to leave. You could, you could walk out to the kind of the barrier itself and then a robot would show up and tell you that, you know, kind of some excuse that you weren't allowed to leave and they would warn you to, to come back inside. If not, then you would get injected with something and wake up the next morning. Yeah. Every day it was different. Yeah, it, yeah, it seemed that they were just kind of coming up with, with excuses over and over and over again. It was... There's a rabid dog outside. Yeah, exactly. exactly. I liked that one. Or like a, you know, some sort of torrential downpour, or, you know, some, some For your protection, you know. please stay. Yeah. And there wasn't arguing. You can't argue. Right. Like, the robots controlled everything. There was... If you didn't do it, you just were out of luck. And so, it's at this moment in the book that we get some new characters and we're presented this other side. It's presented as such of the other option that could happen if we established necessarily more humanitarian policies with the taking over of automation. And I actually kind of liked this turning point in the story. It was interesting. So this, this woman ends up showing up at the Terraform place I think it was actually a couple. Yeah, you're right. They end up coming and they end up talking to our protagonist. And essentially why they come and talk to him is because the protagonist had a share of investment. Well, I think the I think the setup for that was that his his father, his late father had bought stock yes. in this company for like a couple shares. I think it was like one for him and one for his potential future wife it was a stock in this yeah particular company exactly and this company ends up creating a solution and being driven by this one leader to establish much more of a utopia for everyone through automation and this he the the writer bases this in these people were much more into the open source software and open source code in which 
it is very much for sharing and, and, and improving everyone's lives coming up. So they were guided by this already established uh, phenomenon that we have in our society. And they ended up creating a utopia, essentially, called the Australia Project. Obviously said in Australia. Yeah, yeah, obviously said in Australia. <laughs> but before we get into that, let's do a quick break, and then we'll dive into the Australia Project thereafter. Now, Tyler, what were you thinking at this point whenever the women came in and were talking to the guy, and how did you feel reading it? I mean, personally, I was, I was sitting there in the in the story at that point, listening to what they were saying and kind of going, ah, bull, you know, like there's no, there's no way, like this is there's some there's some catch, you know, which of course like your character is that way too, you know, he's like, well, there's always a catch, you know, so I kind of I kind of was feeling that way at this point in the story, but was also really liking like the idea and I was kind of trying to like piece together like what their system might be like, you know and figure out, you know, how everything works as they're explaining it to you, which is part of it, you know, they're explaining it to you and then and then your character kind of learns a lot through the like orientation process afterward. But yeah, I kind of like you're you're sitting there with his friend, um I think his name was Bert or something like that maybe, who's this like, you know, big time cynic who's just kind of like, you know, everything sucks and you know, society is is corrupt and and everything goes to the elite, you know, which is is the case, obviously. Mm-hmm. They're in this, you know, welfare home, you know, and, and not really able to do anything with themselves, basically trapped. Um, so they just feel really helpless, like they're, you know, kind of just sitting there rotting in this prison, basically. Yet our character still kind of almost like feels a little bit of like optimism still, I think, you know, he obviously just arrives at the at the welfare home after losing his job. So I think that he, you know, was maybe still a little more optimistic in his senses. But at this point, it was just kind of like, you know, a really interesting spot because you seem to kind of be at the lowest point that we've reached here yet in the story. And then our society has presented these these two. And then all of a sudden you get these kind of, I almost got the sense of like, like fairy godmothers or uh-huh. something. Yeah. You know, they kind of, they kind of were just like, whoop, you know, just swooped on in. Like there didn't really seem to be any like, you know, problem with the robots or anything like that. You know, it was, it was really kind of interesting. And so that's, you know, part of our, our character, I think is, speculative behavior here you know he's kind of really trying to question like what's what's going on with these two but in learning that he has some shares and and finding out that you know this really is kind of like a cool spot like a bit of a utopia with with in my opinion very little catch to it Mm -hmm. you know i mean like it's it's they kind of describe it as you know every everything being shared amongst the people um, everyone kind of has an equal share because they they buy into this this place, you know, which is what afforded them the luxury of being able to live there, and and everything is kind of recycled, and everyone gets you know an allotment like a like an allowance every month, things like that, um, which I thought was kind of cool. And to him, it like obviously seems you know too good to be true, even because it's <laughs> you know it's much better than his current situation. I honestly felt that he that the the writer didn't give enough to the main character of really what's the catch. It felt like the main character just accepted everything that came at him. And maybe that's because he was so desperate. 
he did yeah but that, and but i did get to think yeah like what like what you're saying like i'm like i i honestly probably would say yes too like i you know it it would be a definitely like a better option i feel like once you got you know explained the whole thing i would also say that this is a theme that we see in almost all religions right we see this theme of suffering salvation right right this is a high established if we if we think in Abrahamic religion it was the people who were oppressed were told that they will be saved mm-hmm. and gone to go to a kingdom a utopic kingdom a utopic kingdom and this is sort of another hearken to that of you suffer salvation we see that in Buddhism Christianity uh, exactly Islam exactly we, we see that nearly everywhere and so that's that's just a funny little theme. And so they come in, right? Yeah, and they're they're obviously rich. The robots don't treat them the same. So there you can see this they're rich and they're coming in and they have this privilege to be able to go up to them and so on. And they invite him. They say, "Would you like to come?" And he was basically immediately on board, as I think all of us would be. Right. Again, like you're saying a little quickly, but but yeah, I mean, I would I would be on board too, to be honest. He accepts the utopia. They then say, well, you have two shares. Do you want to bring someone? And he ends up bringing Bert. He just says, you know what, Bert, let's go. Yeah, almost almost to like, you know, help him out. Like he's obviously a bit of a cynic at this point and really hurting here in this welfare home. Exactly. And so he gets whisked away. Everyone gets whisked away immediately. It was just, let's go now. They get whisked away and guided in such a way that it almost feels like magic. He's following these women, and they know exactly where to go at all times, and it almost feels a little confusing to him. And he's, where, what is this magic? Right. And so they finally get to the place. There's going to be an orientation week, and they, they're set up in this amazing kind of hotel thing that they'll live in for three weeks. And you are then presented as the reader a what-could-be-utopia and it is jaw-dropping, really. Like, if this, if this were to be the case, it is jaw-dropping. Essentially, the idea is that it, we went the other direction. Instead of everyone still trying to fight for jobs to make ends meet, it was a full embrace of automation lets us all just experience our own lives purely. Right, kind of almost the the ideal situation that we you know have almost and always envisioned, you know, robots doing things for us and mm-hmm. and us just kind of living our lives because they're doing the you know the labor and the hard work for us, you know. And so this allows an establishment essentially in everyone the the ability to self actualize to the greatest extent. Well, yeah, you have you have the ability to pursue anything you, you want to, you know, maybe you're a scientist or an artist or, or whatever, you know, I mean, um, and it just allowed people to pursue things with passion rather than, you know, being demanded to pursue something for, for, uh, you know, survival or something like that, you know, you know, making, making ends meet or something, you know, everyone was given an allowance. So, um, at that point you were kind of just living to live, you know, what, what were you going to do to better your, your lives or, you know, your, your fellow community, so it was really interesting. You know, I liked that. Going off of that, no, yeah, no one was doing anything necessarily to make money. So they were, if they were an artist, they weren't producing art that will sell. They were producing art 
that they felt was great and they loved. And the cool thing was that then you could submit the art into this database and anyone can use it. Anyone can download it and take it. And, and in that sense, that like the artist's name is still attached to it. It's just that it's out there and they're like, hey, if you want it, put it in your home. Here you go. Yeah, I thought that was interesting that it still allowed for, you know, some sort of artistic recognition, but wasn't like for like a capitalistic gain of some kind. You know, everyone was able to download that design and recycle the clothing that they were wearing. If you were, you know, if maybe a fashion designer or something. And then the art, same thing, you know, you could just download it and, and, and print it out or whatever it was you wanted to do. These materials and everything, all this, if you wanted, for example, the art, clothing, whatever, if you wanted a certain kind of house, you could customize to your delight within the limits of, of the allotment that you get, this $1,000 allotment, which they give some numbers against it. They sort of suggest some numbers, and it sounded like you could get a house like for three or 400 of out of your 1000 Yeah. So it's hefty, and you save, and you save. And so one of my questions was very much, okay, where does all this energy and material come from? Yeah. And it's sort of washed, hand washed away of the materials are harvested by the robots and the robots create this. And the author keeps repeating, if energy is figured out, this is possible. So they sort of gloss over, well, yeah, where is this energy coming from? And where is the materials? They do mention the fact that like the energy obviously comes from the sun, Yes. Like I think the sun is what was powering the robots, but but it definitely seems like yeah, there's a there's a finite amount of resources in that place regardless, you know. They definitely had an extremely utopic idea of everything is recycled to 100%, which is just as we know right now, like that's that's a fairy tale unless we change the materials that we use specifically. Yes, yes, exactly. Plastic, for example, is a sham. Re recycling plastic, that's a complete and utter sham. Yeah, it, most of it ends up in a landfill anyway. Yes. Those are sort of the weird things. And he accepts them. I, you know, just sort of accepts them as is. And I think that that's probably the biggest weakness of the book is that there's no like questioning of the opposite yes this yes. place is so beautiful and and so on and you could live they, they talked about how you can live in virtual spaces versus real spaces and how some people just choose to purely live in virtual spaces and so on through vr and this is such a big thing right now especially because vr did not exist then but now it is in existence and we are it, we are just touching these ideas we are just brushing against these ideas with our, our arms and it it's so close we are so close to people living in vr right for a dominant amount of time we are so close to that yeah i thought it was interesting that his friend bert kind of escaped in, into that you know the system that they use for everything in this utopia is called vertebrain it was kind of this like what they thought of as a minor surgery, what he thought of was a very major surgery, you know, which was like, yeah, very invasive surgery. And it was like removing two or three of his like pieces of his vertebrae or something and, and replacing these chips in there. And they, they each, you know, they had like batteries and stuff that would run off of the glucose in your blood. But then it was like basically like a severing and reconnecting of your, you know, your nerves and stuff, all of your, your nerves into this, this, whatever the vertebrain, I guess is what they called it. thought it was really interesting. That, that kind of creeped me out in a way. <laughs> I'm not super fond of that idea. Then yeah, it allowed for them to tune in to, 
to everything else you know that was how they kind of controlled everything they could tune into the like audio waves they could kind of call each other through like almost like a telepathic sense thought that was kind of interesting too and then yeah that's how they would kind of jack into this like vr system what do they like describe it as kind of plugging it into the back of your like spinal cord or something you know it was kind of like a like a matrix type thing you know where they were jacking into this this system or whatever which then yeah of course obviously his friend Bert escapes too and and he has to kind of go kind of go visit him and be in VR with him there because that's that's his primary dwelling which which then they brought about like another question too like they talked about new like what did they call them I can't remember exactly like brain racks or something like that it it was just like a place for your brain to be stored <laughs> essentially you know you didn't you didn't need a body at that point cuz you were just like living in VR you just needed somewhere for your your brain to be to be living or whatever which was a really really very extreme concept i feel like a little a little creepy to me that brings about a whole bunch of other questions you know so yeah this gets all brought up because finally because um our protagonist he wants to know how did she guide them how did she know all this and that's when she introduces this system and uh for example it was during whenever they were she was guiding them to the uh, location and knows knew exactly where the door was for him and so on she talked about projections of arrows that she was seeing from the vertebrae and how everyone could choose whatever they want yes and they talk about how the vertebrae the vertebrae is connected to a central location essentially they they thought about the waste of electronic devices and coming out with new ones every year and and having different ones for different things so they decided that they're going to centralize all of that processing and style into one location and everyone through their vertebrae accesses that right and so this is this so they can choose to treat it like a google in a sense of asking it questions of how the example was how tall is the empire state building or something like that or the eiffel tower i can't remember it also, as, as you described, gives us a lot of power. And one thing that came up that I think everyone would die for, it's, it's phenomenal, the ability to tell your body, okay, you're going to exercise for an hour. And then you turn off and go to a virtual space and do what you want for an hour while your body does the exercising for you. That sounded crazy to me. Right. And this, the, the vertebrae also regulated, you know, how much glucose you had, how many, your, your macros, your micros, everything. It made sure that everyone was healthy. Everyone was perfectly, perfectly fit all the time. Yeah, exactly. It's a little weird. And it, again, it kind of, you know, makes you question like, what is this utopia then? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, like, I don't, I don't know. It was just kind of strange. Like, it just seems like there's always, always some, some weird quirky catch to any situation. And in this case, it kind of gets a little weird in this part, in, in my opinion, with the vertebrae and the being able to like turn your turn yourself off and, and kind of escape. There's always seems to be some sort of escapism that we yearn for as humans. Yes. Even in the previous situation, when they were kind of in this awful welfare home, they were just, you know, wanting to escape that situation. And they kind of describe people always wanting to do that. Poor children, you know, wanting to always escape that that situation as well. Yeah, we always have. It's sort of weird in the sense of, yeah, we have our escapisms now. You know, what do we use to escape? Video games alcohol drugs right tv shows and so on and so this is allowing us to escape to the most extreme to be able to literally just be across the universe in a sense at least as far as we feel or can conceive i guess really yeah exactly and so 
we get to the end of this point. She's described everything, and then she's this is sort of the final step for the guy to fully join this project. And she says, look, you can join this project, but there are principles that we have that you must agree to and follow. These are essentially the laws. Right. You must agree to and follow. And so just going through them, there's nine of them, and they're very short. And there are a couple that that I think we need to take out and piece apart. For sure. So everyone is equal. Everything is reused. Nothing is anonymous. Nothing is owned. Tell the truth. Do no harm. Obey the rules. Live your life better and better. Always for that better and better. That's a big one that, that we'll talk about. So some of these, everyone is equal. Everything is reused. These aren't necessarily shocking. The first one that hits us that is, I think, incredibly shocking is nothing is anonymous. Yes, yes. That, that to me, it was a little shocking. I mean, it, it sort of makes sense in a way. But yeah, it was a little like, hmm, interesting. This is a utopia and you're free, but you're always monitored. Everyone through this vertebrain system is monitored. They know where you are at all times and what you're doing. Right. And she describes how this essentially makes it so there's basically no crime because there's no point. You will always be caught. Right. So we're giving up the freedom of privacy in that sense to have much more of safety and... I can't remember exactly the example that they do, but he ends up, the protagonist asks the woman that he's working with, well then, do you know what tattoo Bert has? It was on his, it was on his, yeah, it was on his butt. Yeah, exactly. And she was able to figure out the answer. And that's sort of, yeah, that's sort of that creepiness of like, we know generally everything. Yes, exactly. But I also would say that because everything is known, People don't actively try to know everything. They don't need to. Right. So necessarily your privacy is not like constantly being attacked per se by other people. And you're constantly worrying about what other people think of you, even though I think we already have that issue right now with anxiety issues and so on. Now this could be Mm -hmm. tenfold because people will know everything about you. I think right. th- at the end of the day, people won't pay attention. Yeah, I think you're. I think you're right. And I think the connection that I would make to what we have right now, this nothing is anonymous. We already have something like that right now, and it's our internet search and our internet activity and our internet clicks and all of these are now attempting to be followed by cookies, trackers, and so on. We already have given up our anonymity. We've already essentially given that up. So this next step almost feels like a natural thing. In a sense, it's like, you know, everything is is open. So I guess it does kind of create a sense of freedom in a way mm-hmm. that we're not maybe familiar with. But it is kind of a scary, scary thought initially to be able to monitor everything and everyone i mean i guess again it does negate a lot of that like someone wants to you know kill you or something you know it it deletes that sort of because you're able to to monitor that and and be able to 
to correct it where it needs to be, which I thought was another interesting point they like kind of touched on and is the correction process. If something goes wrong or, you know, you do something wrong in that sense, then you're, you're going to go through this correction process or like a relearning process or re re-education sort of it kind of glossed over it. I mean, it sounded a little weird, but I think it was maybe meant to be good, you know, good, in, good intentions with the, mm-hmm. the meaning of it or whatever. It didn't really seem like people were being like brainwashed. Or anything. It, it sounded, isn't it? Like there was a warning or two in which they would be like, hey, chill. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah. They would give you the the chance to be like, okay, this is a bad idea and I'm not going to do that. Right. Kind of like having a, what do they call them, referees or something. Kind of being like, hey, maybe you shouldn't be doing that. You know, like if you were kind of doing maybe suspicious, something suspicious, you know, in a sense. Which again, it kind of touched on that whole like, okay, you're being monitored and coached and almost like told what to do in a way, you know, so it like kind of touched on, on the previous situation we were just in, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, I, f- I felt like that, that definitely went along those same lines. It was but... another level of mana. It was like an optimized level of mana to where it's not telling you everything all the time, but it will tell you if something's wrong. Yes. Yeah. And so the next one then after that is nothing is owned. And I think that there's definitely this sort of communist knee jerk that we'll get of you know well does the state own it does that mean that everything is owned by the state or you know what is that and in reality this is something that the western world mindset almost cannot comprehend this idea Hmm, okay because we have this in my opinion weird almost innate feeling of entitlement of something i own is mine and this could be land this could be objects. At one time, it was people. How terrible. Right, right. And so this idea that we can have something where it's, you know, I have my house. I have the objects in my house. I don't own it. I don't control it completely. And I think what they mean by that much more is that the house can be copied like everything within there can be necessarily quote unquote taken. Yes. But it's not like it's taken away from you. It's just that the person sees, Oh, I really like that. And then they can get it in their house too. There's no ownership of IP. There's no ownership of intellectual property or, or patents or anything like that. Everyone can use everything. This is the open source mindset. (laughs) And I think that's where they're coming from that direction. And at that point, ownership becomes almost a archaic idea yeah it does we don't even have to think about ownership which is which is sort of innately kind of brings about a kind of stirs about like a a selfish behavior in a way it does absolutely so it it kind of breeds this maybe more positive environment for people to to go about their lives and stuff and kind of not feeling this sense of like entitlement almost you know that is again very very common in western culture western Western civilization Mm mm-hmm the next one was uh, tell the truth. This one sort of is funny to me just because it's like, well, if no- nothing is anonymous, then generally you're going to know if something's the truth or not. So, <laughs> yeah, it seemed that way. I mean, really and truly, it, it was a little redundant in my opinion, like you're saying. Yeah, of course, I guess there's going to be like certain instances where that would make sense and you would need to like, you know, because you could always kind of like hide a thought, I feel like, but it's just more like any physical things that that could be seen or found out about you then or those were maybe more like open information you know 
And I think this is also establishing more a virtue of the people rather than a law. Because yes, I think it's yeah, like because exactly. nothing is anonymous, we can know when people are generally lying or not. And then they say it again, tell the truth, just to say we as a people have this virtue mm-hmm. that we're just still not even going to do it. Even though there are these catch systems, we're still going to tell the truth. Right. Again, bringing about a more positive obligation to to your fellow you know, person. And this is the same with number six, do no harm. Number seven, obey the rules in a sense. Right, right. Very much calling back to, yeah, the, the previous ones as well. Kind of just saying, listen, listen to these, <laughs> you yeah, know, don't exactly don't don't stray from this in a way. And then obviously, yeah, the last ones live, live your life and, and better and better. You know, obviously live your life is a, is a really key touching point in this particular utopian society because it allows for you to live your life kind of in whatever facet you you want to and whatever way, whatever manner you feel, allowing you to follow any endeavor you you so choose as long as it doesn't, what does he say, impinge on on others, I guess. On others to live their life. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, that basically goes goes with the whole society, in my opinion. And then and then better and better kind of goes hand in hand with that, too, because a lot of people, again, are kind of living their life but like i said maybe you're a you're a scientist or you're a, an engineer or something and you're you're wanting to do better for your your community and your people and and for that fire in your heart or that you know that sense of passion for your job or whatever and that's a big part that uh, a part of the orientation they really focus in on this which i think is great it needs to be focused in on because a lot of people just would not know what to do with themselves without being told what to do well, and it almost brings about this, like, this calling back again to a renaissance feel or something. There was just all these, you know, you were kind of free to be, you know, all these things that maybe we kind of once were back in the day. It used to be popular for people to be artists and scientists and astronomers and all of these things all at once because they were kind of like allowed the freedom to do that in a sense, you know, and were, were less controlled and confined by you know, the systems we have in place now. Not, not that we, you know, the systems we have in place now are, are bad necessarily, um, but yeah, it kind of just reminded me of that. Like it was just allowing you to like, you know, be free and open and you could, you know, follow any pursuit you wanted to. Really. Well, and it, this had to be decided. That's the thing. You needed to decide something before you exit initiation. Right. Because they know what will happen if you just feel distraught and not knowing what to do and so on. Right, right. So they really focus in on that and say, you need to live your life. You need to establish what you want to do. And it can be whatever exactly without impinging on others. And so, yeah, we have scientists doing pure science. We have engineers doing pure engineering. We have artists doing art. We have whatever they want to do. Well, and also doing them out of, yeah, just like pure joy, you know, which is maybe like the best way to do them, the most efficient, if you will. You're doing them out of just like the pure, the pure art of it, which I think is where we get the best, best things in life, you know? Exactly. And then finally, with better and better, a lot of people would think, especially if we are already in a capitalist mindset, that innovation comes about because you can capitalize on it, because you can gain money from it. So some people would respond and say then, well, if I don't have to work or do anything like that to make money, then what incentive do I have to innovate? Right. In this case, they answer it with, well, number one, we establish it as a virtue and a, a must do that in general, everything that you do 
is for the purpose of making things better. And that can be as simple as, I'm painting this painting to make someone's life, even my own, more enriched. Exactly, exactly. Or, I'm creating this cure for this disease because it betters people's lives. I'm building this new efficient technology or whatever to better people's lives. This is sort of their catch-all to say, like, we still are a declaration, it is a declaration of innovation and we are still pushing forward with this. Just out of out of pure pure joy, which is again the best way, in my opinion. Which is the the best part of this the you know, you know the utopian society they're living in. It's kind of the whole point is, you know, be happy. Be happy with your life. And so finally the whole book ends and we have Bert, who is now full virtual person living his life, and then we have our protagonist who has found a community who lives in about 300 400 years into the past and they only use technologies of that era and they you know do their own gardening and stuff and it's yeah. just just they just want to live a simple life like that and that's a choice that he makes and he experiences it and it's tranquil yeah i think he describes himself as kind of becoming that old old man in the town or something right you know like he was what did he what did he end up doing like he ended up making pot pottery yeah. and and doing some stuff like that you know and kind of just like living his life just for the the sake of living his life you know it was like where he found the most joy and and he was able and like you said it kind of afforded the the luxury of able to being able to do that which again sounds like a great a great thing to me kind of being being free and open to do live out your life maybe be the town potter or something you know maybe grow grow flowers or or you know whatever you want to do it seems Seems really nice to me. I liked the end of the book, to be honest. It was it was a happy ending, <laughs> in a way. Yeah, it definitely yeah. it definitely was. Um, I thought I thought his postscript was even kind of interesting. Reaching out to people and and you know maybe maybe posing these two perspectives. Obviously, this is a work of fiction, but we'll see. You know, kind of saying, hey, like if you're serious about this, please try and try and follow this, and and maybe you know work towards a better economy, work towards a better society, even, you know. Essentially, the whole book is a call to action. Yes, exactly. Exactly. It's a wake, it's a wake up call. It's a... And, and the choice of it being in America and then the utopia being somewhere else is definitely a specific choice. Yes, very much so. I think it was very much a him describing his experience in this country our author i should say his experience in this country and kind of what he thinks could be it was very much yeah a wake-up call call to action and definitely a little bit of an eye-opening tale yeah and so i think now we can sort of collect this back together and say well what's what's going on now it's uh, uh not not probably great if we were to ask you know marshall brain what he thinks and which way we're going, he probably would still say that America's staying on the same path. I would definitely say that, yeah. You know, some people like him, some people don't. One reason, one of the biggest reasons I liked Andrew Yang was because he was the only politician up there talking about this automation. He was talking about it openly, saying he knows what's going on, he sees it, he has the insider knowledge of the industry, and he knows that we have to do something better. We have to fix this and go towards the utopia rather than the dystopia. But we're already experiencing this issue of, you know, car manufacturers, for example, people losing jobs there, mining, different production, people are losing jobs left and right. Just imagine automatic checkouts at, at stores. 
Yep. Used one this morning. Actually, this morning when I was in uh, Walmart, they only had the self-checkout available. Really? Like they had like one, they had one lane open for, you know, like the, the cigarette lane or whatever, you know, tobacco lane there, or whatever. So you could get, get that or whatever, but literally every other lane was closed and they only had the self-checkout open, you know, granted it was seven in the morning or something. So there's one that I went in that is completely self-checkout. Like there are, there are no lines or like check, uh, cashiers or anything. It's just completely self-checkout. Yeah. It's expanding and it's taking over. And I think already, I, if Amazon just went full force, I mean, they're trying to already, but I think if they, you know, utilized their factory robots and RFID tags and so on, a store could be 110% fully automated. It's inevitable. And, and, and we, we want it to an extent, you know, we want that automation. Like we want to be able to have things, A, when we want them, and we also just want like a simple process to get them. We kind of, I guess, choose to to go with more automation, automated things rather than dealing with you know face to face interaction. That may just be a product of us having too much screen time and stuff. But I think it's that part of us that wants that like you know utopian aspect of it, and we don't necessarily think of you know that we might be feeding into that that dystopian side of it rather than you know for the good. Yeah, I mean, we are absolutely at the stage now that you need to be thinking about what degree are you getting? Will it be automated out? We are at that stage. I think that's why there is such a massive influx of people doing data science and data uh, data studies because they're trying to be the controllers of that, not to be controlled by it. We should be teaching more computer studies and, and data studies like within the confines of like, you know, our schools are just our regular, like public schools and stuff, middle school and up, I feel like, you know, because our kids interact with it in such a way that, that they will like, you know, I don't know, just that we had never had, you know, when we were younger, it's a part of their lives. Like it's, it's, it is a part of their lives. You know, we're basically like freaking cyborgs here. <laughs> yeah. And I, I think that's, that will be another topic that we can enter into on another episode. Yes. But for now, the big call to action is to be aware and to vote and understand what people are saying whenever they try and influence you in different directions. This is a, a David versus Goliath situation in which the Goliath is this long-standing tradition of capitalism and of the way we think about income, worth, and so on. And we are now having to be David fighting against this, saying that we need to flip our heads and our thought processes about society completely because we now can. Right. These softwares and, and, and automations are giving us now the ability and freedom to flip it, to not have an established ruling class in every single situation. And so... What does that mean for the viewers? What does that mean for you guys and for us? We just need to be more aware of this and understand what's going on, spread the idea to others of what's going on, and pay attention to what politicians are saying and if they support this. Vote, really pay attention and vote towards this direction because many politicians are just not even thinking about it or talking about it at all. And this will cause us to go into the dystopia. So any final thoughts on your end, Tyler? I thought it was a nice, quick little read. was not very long. You know, you could probably sit, sit and read it in a night, really, if you really wanted to. 
and I thought, yeah, like I said earlier, it was a it was a good a good call to action, really and truly. Um, and and much like you said, you know, I think it, it we definitely need to work towards that utopia rather than the dystopia. And so we kind of need to work together on that, you know, on that end, and and kind of quit thinking that you know people people uh, are, are so deserving based on you know their their class or their their uh, you know their their wealth and status, I guess rather. And kind of kind of work towards yeah using this automation for a positive means you know for all so that we can all kind of enjoy the life we want to you know so a big rounding suggestion for anyone who's interested read the book it's short it's sweet and it gets you thinking spread the book get people thinking about this we need it now more than ever so until next time guys this has been take the dive i'm alex and i'm tyler and we'll see you next time bye